One. Um, Completely losing it. Welcome back. Completely losing it. Nice. Um, Welcome back after the previous episode, the the usual intro, Wolfpack podcast, Milo Wolfpack, your favorite host. Sorry? We in this bitch now, as I say. We are in this bitch now, repping 55th Street. You five me, and some people will get that if they watch Channel 5, but... Representing Orchard Place. Representing Orchard Place, okay, for the viewers only. For the viewers only. Uh, Viewer discretion is advised. Custom made. Custom made, totally not taken from the streets. Hey, don't mention it. What are we talking about Whoop! For the viewers only, for the listeners, side chest and most muscular going down right now as you speak. Let's go. So, welcome to a, a relatively short episode titled bonus All episode. the Smoke. Indeed. Huh? Hey, bonus episode. Yeah. Titled All the Smoke. Official response to Paul Carter. Paul Carter, we'll see you outside. And by outside, I mean inside. And by inside, I mean you know. in the UK through Riverside. We'll just make some um, comments on an exchange you had with Milo. Indeed. Nothing personal, bro. No actual beef at all. No actual beef. AKA All the just Beef. Smoke. We'll see you outside. Peace. Indeed. All right. So call Take it away. Um, I received an Instagram DM from one of my friends and followers. Uh, he demands that I go on TikTok and respond to this one video. The reason for that is this video was by a user named TNF on TikTok. Now, I have a TikTok profile. I never use it. I didn't have it installed even before this person asked me to respond. Um, but the video was about stretch mediated hypertrophy in the triceps. So basically, exactly in my wheelhouse. And this person asked me, hey, respond to this guy. He made a video about the triceps and whether or not they respond to longer muscle length training for hypertrophy. And essentially, this video was this guy, TNF, responding to another video where someone was saying, oh, you know, uh, we have a study on the triceps where we saw greater hypertrophy doing partials at longer muscle lengths with your arm overhead versus partials at shorter muscle lengths, like a pushdown. And he responded in the video claiming that, no, the triceps don't respond to stretch-mediated hypertrophy uh, because they don't see an increase in fascicle length um, following lower muscle length training. And that the only reason for stretch-mediated hypertrophy, or the only mechanism, rather, is an increase in fascicle length, or rather the, the length of the fascicle, essentially. Um, I responded to it. I basically said, look, I'm currently doing my PhD on this topic. There's been three studies on muscle length and hypertrophy in the triceps. So, you know, rather than hypothesizing about whether or not the biceps and triceps respond to stretch mediated hypertrophy. Let's see what the actual direct data on the topic says. Um, so I mentioned fascicle length adaptations are only one of the potential mechanisms behind stretch mediated hypertrophy. There do appear to be quite a few other ones, and at any rate, it's not like we have any certainty over which one is at play. Um, and I referred him to my article, well, our article, TM, on Strong by Science that Greg Knuckles and I co-authored about range of motion, where we sort of briefly discussed the potential mechanisms behind quote-unquote stretch-mediated hypertrophy, and it's important to acknowledge that it's not really a proper term in the sense that you don't get stretch-mediated hypertrophy just by existing at lower muscle lengths, right? Like, just because you bend your elbow, like I bend my elbow now and stretch my triceps, I'm not going to get hypertrophy out of it. It's about training at lower muscle lengths. So it's like training at lower muscle length mediated hypertrophy rather than stretch-mediated hypertrophy. Um... And so I mentioned the three studies on the triceps specifically, uh, one by Stasinaki, one by Mayo, and one by Goto. 
Uh, two of these were comparing partials at different muscle lengths, so like a push down versus an overhead extension. Respect Stasinaki. Stasinaki, hey, we're she now will be helping us out in our study. Indeed, we're collaborating on with her on the upcoming upper body study that we previously discussed one or two episodes ago. Um, anyways, three studies on the triceps. In two of those studies, the longer muscle length condition saw greater hypertrophy in the triceps specifically. And whereas in the third study, which happened to be the only one mentioned in the video response on TikTok, was the one where there was no difference. So it seemed like a bit of a case of cherry picking the study that fit the point. Um, but overall, out of those three studies, two studies found a benefit to lower muscle length training, one didn't. And so I mentioned there's been three studies. The one you mentioned is the only one that didn't find a benefit. And fascicle length increases aren't the only potential mechanism behind all this stuff. And so I responded. I got a good amount of likes, you know, a bit of a flex. Um, and the person who made the video didn't respond. However, like, I want to say a week or something after I post those comments, Mr. Lift Run Bang One himself responded to me. Um, he responded, an increase in fascicle length is the only way stretch-mediated hypertrophy occurs. We know this factually. And the triceps don't benefit from it, no. To which I responded, an increase in fascicle length isn't the only potential mechanism of stretch-mediated hypertrophy. Read through the Strong by Science article. And now, the reason why I was referring him to this is because TikTok comments have a character limit of like 100, I think. So for me to respond to that in depth would have been like 12 comments or something. And it still wouldn't and have why been Why do enough. so if you have an article already exactly. covering it? Written and, by you, um, in part. Once again, he reiterated, an increase in fascicle length is the adaptation. And he followed it up with, I don't need to read Knuckles' shit, he's a dumbass. Um, and yeah, then I decided to take a screenshot of that comment because I was quite entertained and posted it to my story and tag him and was like, imagine calling Greg Knuckles a dumbass. He responded um, to my story saying, this isn't new. Dude, you know what is weak sauce? Is appealing to authority with a clown emoji. I think he missed the fact that I, in fact, co-authored the article. So it wasn't, I mean, either he was calling me an authority, so thank you, or he just completely missed it. Uh, and then he followed it up with, you're free to ask Alan Aragon and Brett Contreras what they think of Greg with four clown emojis. I can't, I can't, uh, I can't actually. Like, proceeds to, well, weak sources not clicking the link and reading the article, but Indeed. proceeds to say, hey, don't appeal to authority. Appeals to authority to disprove what? To say that, hey, these people, which I don't know what they have he to say about just Greg. He didn't just authority. He appealed to authority to ad hominem someone. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> it's, just quite, it's quite powerful. Um, quite based, so I, I'd say. Uh, you know, quite based indeed. Win the argument that way. And so I just responded, hey, I co-wrote that article. It is an appeal authority. You know, I just referred to my rationale because I wasn't going to describe it in depth in a TikTok comment. And then he just responded, it's a bad take. There's no hypoxia. I'm not sure what he was talking about here. Um, he just sort of went off. And so then in a slight sort of tongue-in-cheek type of joke, I posted a picture of my rear lat spread and uh, tagged him and said, my official response to Paul Carter. And he, he, didn't, he did not like this. He responded, dude, your obsession with me is creepy and my back looks like it ate your back. Anything else, man? And then sent me a video of him flexing his back, which I like to believe he just took to send it to me, because he was that like concerned about this. This, you know, it's very cringe when they do that. When they say, "Yo, your obsession with me, brother." <laughs> we had an argument online. We responded to a couple of comments. 
I'm a guy who's doing his PhD and is becoming yeah. a, a figure in the fitness world. You're somebody who has been around for years. We had a back and forth. You didn't really address any of my points. Yeah. And I just made one story on Instagram. Right? I didn't come outside your house. And, For the uh, balls, as they say. Yeah. Um, your obsession with me is creepy. And then he just uh, continued to go on. And I said, oh, you know, it was a joke. It was sarcastic. Like, you know, I'm not sure he missed that. And he just said, uh, and I'll stand by Greg being a dumbass. One of the few people I don't like. He's an opportunist. And if you don't believe me, ask Brett. Ask Alan. Uh, thumbs up. So, yeah, apparently he really doesn't like Greg Knuckles. Um, but yeah, I think it was quite an thinning exchange. It was my first actual interaction with him, but I got, I want to say, like close to 50 to 100 DMs about this. Just from people nice. being like, oh, I hate Paul Carter too. Like everyone, everyone, not a single person pretty much actually. I like him. Hey, great. I mean, he, <laughs> you look at similar to be fair. I don't, uh, is, he, is he natty? Uh, I'm pretty sure he's been on PDs for quite a while now. I mean, I could be wrong. If he's not on PDs, hey, nice physique, bro. Enjoy. I know him as a figure, but I don't, I don't follow him. I, I know even, he does a lot of videos on, like, a lot of very intimidating videos for people who are not into lifting. Who yeah, yeah, will yeah. be like, whoa, I have a lot to figure out. Like, even bicep curls aren't, aren't easy to perform. Yeah, no, 100%. And I think, so I found it entertaining, and I, again, no beef at all with Pork Quarter. Um, a lot of beef, actually. A lot of beef. Official response, this track. Let's do it. And we're creep um, the, cre the creepers here. You made a whole uh, podcast episode about it. <laughs> Indeed. Dude, your obsession Reply with to the comments made. I mm -hmm. hate when people do that, man. I hate when they don't respond to the actual argument. and Responding to the allegations. You know? Um, but yeah, so it was just a, a fun exchange. And I think it it's crazy because I've seen a lot of Instagram posts lately about muscle length. And stuff like that. Like it's it's been getting a lot of traction. And I was talking about this with my supervisor as well. Is that in the past couple of years, maybe in the past year even, it's really taken off as a topic. Like there are certain, and to be fair, I'm one of them. Uh, I guess I have a bit more of a pass because I'm doing my PhD on it. But there are certain people out there who make all of their content based on the muscle length arguments, etc. Mm -hmm. And there's like a lot of different takes almost. Like for example, the take that the biceps and triceps don't respond to longer muscle length training. Um, and those takes really, aren't... yeah. Like Paul Carter, basically, I think what this all stems. I don't from know is... what his his uh, schmick is, but what is there? Is there a crowd that goes, "Hey, muscle links don't matter," and that's their that's what they've based their personas on, or their personas, their content on? Yes, yeah. So I think this all stemmed initially from a claim made by Chris Beardsley, and that claim is based on the um, length tension relationship where. Uh, different muscles are at different lengths when resting and during different exercises they might be at different points in the length tension relationship mm -hmm. um, so at different muscle lengths your muscles are able to produce different amounts of force right and mm -hmm. so um, because a lot of tricep exercises and bicep exercises have those muscle groups training at different muscle lengths than other muscle groups um, the assumption was oh they might not respond to stretch immediate hypertrophy quote unquote and then I think there was maybe one study on fascicle length itself or a couple studies, and they said, oh, if there's no increase in fascicle length, it's not going to do anything. Um, but that's kind of just a misunderstanding of how stretch-immediate hypertrophy might work. And it's also kind of completely discounting the direct evidence we have. Like, we have three studies on the triceps directly and hypertrophy. So Do they fit, do they fit his bias? No. Okay, we don't have any studies, Milo. Exactly. Fuck, off your, fucking Fuck your studies. Let me um, ask a few people. Hey, Brett. 
What about Indeed. Milo? He's <laughs> a fucking loser. No. Hey, the experts have weighed in. Um, anyways, and then another, like for example, there was another TikTok video which was tagged, which was about the biceps this time, saying that the incline curl is a terrible exercise um, for some reason. And again, with the biceps, like for the triceps, there's actually direct evidence on this. Um, so we have, I want to say, three studies now on this. We have the Pinto 2012 study, we have the Sato 2021 study, and the Zabalita Core 2022 study. And broadly speaking, again, if you look at the results um, in all of these, it still supports lower muscle length training even for the elbow flexors. Um, it might indicate, especially the Zabalita Corta study, where basically they compared preacher curls to incline curls. That study specifically suggests that it's not about reaching the absolute longest muscle lengths, it's about having a good deal of tension at, in the stretch position. But overall, those three studies still do support lower muscle length training for the biceps. Um, and so it's just a thing where I think both when it comes to EMG, for example, and when it comes to certain areas of research or in the fitness-based community, people somehow prefer mechanistic rationales over the actual evidence we have on muscle growth. So they'll often say, oh, but, you know, I think this general principle is true, like uh, fascicle length being the only adaptation. So I'll be disregarding the whole direct evidence on muscle growth itself, which doesn't really make sense to me, and I think it's entirely the wrong way of looking at it, you know? Especially when we've, we've had plenty of uh, examples in the past where mechanistically, same with, um, I don't know, the um, obesity model and carbohydrates, where there was a, a more solid uh, mechanistic ra rationale and than, than your example now. But then over time, that was refuted. And like we've, we've had a lot of examples of that happening and people seem to still want to, I don't know, ego it. I don't get, I don't get it. Like if, if there's evidence coming out, okay, you can still say, hey, you know, preliminary evidence and, you know, maybe it's, it's, that's not really what's happening and there's this other rationale that I'd like to see tested out so I'm being cautious and... But the, the, the way the guy came at it, or some of these people coming at it, I'm not sure if it's uh, Paul Carter anymore, is, is as if, oh, here's a bunch of studies that have concretely proved this. Concretely, is that a word? It is, yeah. PhD. Um, I will say, I think, I think most people just don't read the actual studies. And that's just what it stems from. It's that one person will put out one take that seems intuitively appealing. Like, for example, Chris Beardsley will have you being the originator of the biceps, triceps, stretch medium hypertrophy bullshit. Um, and people will sort of cling on to it and not read the evidence behind it and just assume that because the person's had correct takes about other stuff, um, they automatically have a good take about that as well. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been the, that's been happening with plenty of, plenty of stuff. Uh, one idea will be proposed, some very limited evidence supported, and then what happens is it gets recycled and recycled and recycled and recycled and then it reaches a point where it's like established truth, but it's not. Um, same with uh, periodization for uh, hypertrophy, even for strength to a, to a certain extent. Um, and we even have examples in the literature where that happens, where one paper makes a, a claim citing another paper that is not really supporting that claim. And then over the course of the literature, other papers are, are citing, not the first, the, the original paper, the, the first one that referred to that other paper. And then five years later, you have multiple citations of different authors that all lead to the one paper that leads to another paper that doesn't really support that claim. 
I would love to have that example here. There's one specific. I'll the find melatonin. it as you speak. The melatonin huh? study, remember? Melatonin study was another one. It's where, a where, So, um, context. Um, we have been supplementing for melatonin well, on and off for a few years now. Um, and at one point, I'm not sure how we got started on this conversation, on this path, but we started looking for longer-term safety data on melatonin. And there have been a few people who had made videos about melatonin. Uh, we asked one of them about any studies that they knew of and watched one of their videos about it. And in that video and in the message, they mentioned um, a seven-year melatonin study where women, like a group of 100 women or something, were given um, really high dosages of melatonin and there were no... More, for seven, seven years, uh, I think 40 grams a day. Yeah, something some, ridiculous. Something extreme. Yeah, something ridiculous. Um, and we looked for that study. We saw one paper that cited it. And then we clicked on that paper, and that paper was also citing a different paper. And then that paper was citing a different paper. And eventually we... There was about maybe 40 or 50 papers total, I think, from what I remember, that were citing this one study in some way. Um, but when you drew all these citations back to the source, there was no paper. Yeah, it was um, a pr uh, like a, a medical trial that was pre-registered. Pre never... There was no actual paper anywhere. It was just not yeah. existing. And so I, I then asked the person who had cited it, like in the video, and they also couldn't find it. So sometimes uh, some sketchy stuff can happen in research and some incorrect notions can arise from consistent improper referencing or confusion or what have you. Um, and yep. I think that can kind of happen in the social media space as well, where if one person puts a claim out and they yeah. may not be correct, if that claim gets parroted parroted around from by you know thousands of people, eventually they'll sort of like grab hold of the the industry as an idea. And it's hard to dispel that notion, even when we have evidence directly going against that claim. Yeah, because nobody's reading the evidence. Nobody exactly. cares about the nuance, the details. Same is happening to a certain extent with the minimum dose stuff. Like, no matter how many disclaimers I've put out there, and hey, you know, it's all still pretty new, and we, we need to, yeah, probably you can get away and get some optimal results with X amount of sets. Like, um, I've had people tell me, yeah, man, people are treating me like a, a dinosaur just because I'm still prescribing higher volumes of training to strength athletes. And But that comes that comes with the whole um, infographic culture. And hey, title, okay, one study, and we see quite a bit of that. And again, once you look um, in those studies, you, you'll you see that it's, it may not be even close to that. I, yeah. I really want to find this, this table. It, uh, it's, it's essentially a figure that demonstrates how the one paper was cited, yep. all the citations that cited the paper that cited the one paper, and then leading back to that one paper. I think yeah, it was no. part of the single set um, response, single versus multiple sets de debate. Uh, yep. One of the responses was that, potentially. Yeah, no, it's, it's definitely something, it's an onus, I think, on both the people creating the infographics and the people interpreting them. So yeah. obviously the easiest way to avoid that is just to have the person creating the infographic be quite well-informed, not just on the study, but on the topic as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, you could also argue that the person seeing the infographic should be like, okay, well, it's one study, etc. So it's both uh, an education of the wider public consuming the infographics, and I think also as someone who makes infographics, make sure that you frame the findings properly, that you do your best to communicate those findings without blowing them out of proportion. And get ready to be disappointed at the end. Because they don't care. They'll be like, yeah, who cares? Like You Indeed. write the disclaimers in the caption, nobody's going to read the caption. Indeed. But I think ultimately the, the takeaway with the whole Paul Carter situation is 
Um, I love you, Paul, first of all. Great back. Um, second of all, mm, let's try and read the research before we, uh, you know, make claims. Or even if we make claims, let's read the research every now and then to make sure that Talk we're actually... Research. We actually have research to back it up properly. Um, and yeah, maybe don't uh, ad hominem people and claim they're creepy or uh, slander other people for the fun of it, you know? We'll see you when you collect your newspaper tomorrow. See who's creepy then. Oh, you know? Don't make me get on my obsessive Vopulus uh, flex. <laughs> nice doorbell, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> What's that, you in the room? Nice TV, bro. <laughs> you left the lights on last night. <laughs> Like the the watcher who has ever watched it on Netflix. Um, cool. Bonus episode done. Muscle and feels. M and F. You know the vibes. Smoke only. First we are outside. Huh? First this track. Many more to come. First this track. And we will see you in court. In Peace. Court. Peace.